G'day, Troy Dean from WP Elevation, and welcome to episode 64 of the WP Elevation podcast. Our feature guest this week is Dave Hecker from SourceSeek. What does SourceSeek do? Well, they match clients, that is us, WordPress consultants and uh, consultants that are building software for, for our clients. They match us with vendors, software vendors all over the world, software teams in Eastern Europe, in the States, in Southeast Asia, wherever we need to hire a software team. SourceSeek are like eHarmony for uh, clients and vendors. And Dave's got some very fascinating insights into the world of outsourcing, why it fails most of the time, and more importantly, what you need to be doing to make sure it's a success. He has lots of experience in this field and has just organically grown this business by working out that uh, other people have said over the years, this is what you're really good at, Dave, this is what you should do. And so now he's running a business called SourceSeek. He's also published a book called, uh, it is called Outsourcing for, uh, Outsourcing Web Projects, Six Steps to a Smarter Business. It was published a long time ago by SitePoint, but it's still very relevant. And I'm gonna put a link in the show notes to that. And he also, they've just published, SourceSeek have just published the 2014 Market Pricing Guide, which is fascinating in terms of working out what you should be paying for software vendors uh, all over the world for particular types of projects. So we're also, in this uh, episode, running a competition where Dave is giving away a 20-minute Skype session uh, complimentary to one lucky uh, listener to get on the line and ask him about outsourcing and whether or not you should do it, whether or not you're a good fit for outsourcing and how you should go about starting it. Uh, so if you want to get on the line and get on Skype and pick Dave's brain for 20 minutes, make sure you stay tuned for details on how to enter that competition. Hey, if you've ever thought about outsourcing or are even a little bit curious about it, this is a great episode for you. Stay with us. Let's elevate. This is the WP Elevation Podcast, helping WordPress consultants elevate. This episode of the WP Elevation Podcast is brought to you by Video User Manuals. It is the only, the best, the original way to teach your clients how to use WordPress. In fact, I think it sounds better if I say the original, the only, the best way. No, I think it's better if I say it like this. The original, the best, the only way to teach your clients how to use WordPress. That's better. All right, let's try it again. This episode is brought to you by Video User Manuals. The original, the best, the only way to teach your clients how to use WordPress. There we go, got it in one. Uh, of course, this plugin puts, um, I've lost count now, over 65 or 70 video tutorials in the back end of your client's WordPress dashboard so they can learn how to use WordPress exactly where they need to learn it in their WordPress dashboard. Uh, we've got videos that show them how to do everything in WordPress as an editor to manage their content, how to use the WP SEO plugin by Yoast, how to use WooCommerce, and also we've just included about 15 videos of Justin Cutroni from Google Analytics. He is analytics advocate at Google. He works for the big G. Uh, about 15 videos on how to set up Google Analytics and how to use Google Analytics for better targeted content um, marketing and online marketing in general. Uh, those videos are now included in the video user manuals plugin courtesy of Justin at Google, so thank you very much. Of course, you can turn any of these videos on or off. You can hide individual videos or complete sections if they're not relevant for your client. You can rebadge it, put your own logo on the plugin. Uh, you can add your own videos if you've made a little you know, custom post type for testimonials, for example. You can add your own little custom videos to the plugin. What else can you do? Oh, you can also use embed codes to show our videos in your membership website. So here you've now got over 70 videos that you can use as content to start your own membership website. How cool is that? Awesome. Uh, all you need to do is go to videousermanuals.com or wpelevation.com slash vum and uh, check out the the video of myself and my wife role-playing where she plays a client and I play a WordPress consultant and I hand the website over to her and show her how the plugin works. It's kind of neat. Anyway, you can get the plugin for $1 for your first month and then $24 a month after that, which is ridiculous for all of your client sites, by the way. That's not per site. That's for all of your client sites for 24 bucks a month. It's craziness. I know. We've got to put the price up. We will soon. Don't worry. Anyway, elevation tip this week is 
focus, my friends, focus. Stop multitasking, take more breaks, and focus. My personal experience with this was uh, when I had too many pies in the oven, so to speak, or I was spinning too many plates, uh, stuff was falling through the cracks, I was stressed out, clients weren't happy, I wasn't happy, I was, in fact, I was miserable. When I got rid of everything out of my life that I wasn't enjoying and just focused on building video user manuals back then, we didn't even have WP Elevation, everything started to fall into place and everything started to make sense because I focused on what it is I loved and what it is I was good at. And I just got rid of, systematically got rid of everything else. So the Elevation Tip of the Week this week is focus. And we're going to learn a little bit more about that from our guest this week, Dave Hecker from Source Seek. I've already told you a little bit about him in the intro. He is giving away a free consulting session on Skype to help you overcome whatever questions you've got or whatever fears you've got about outsourcing. He promises not to pitch anyone or try and sell them anything. In fact, he said that he is the black hole of marketing. He couldn't sell anything to anyone and he doesn't know how to market, but he's built a little business out of helping clients find vendors and helping vendors find clients. Uh, he's a lovely man and shared all of his knowledge and expertise with us and has some great words of wisdom. I hope you enjoy this interview and uh, stick around for details on how you can enter that competition a little bit later on in the interview. Right now, without further ado, let's go and meet Dave Hecker. G'day, Troy Dean here from WP Elevation, and I'm very pleased to have with me all the way from Denver, Colorado, Dave Hecker from Sourceseek. Hey, Dave, how you doing? Hey, Troy. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being on the show, man. Now, before I uh, tell you all about what Dave's up to and we start talking about all uh, fancy pants outsourcing things, quick competition announcement. Dave has actually very kindly offered a complimentary 20-minute Skype session with anyone who is thinking about outsourcing but not really sure the first steps to take. So stick around for details on how you can enter that competition a little bit later on, and you might be able to jump on Skype and pick Dave's brain, so to speak. All right, Dave, before we start talking about all things tech and entrepreneur and WordPress and outsourcing. When you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? When I was a kid, when I was a little kid, uh, I wanted to get into technology. Um, my father, I grew up in the 70s, and my father was an early uh, pioneer, so we had a basement full of old computer systems and, and, and giant disks and uh, tape and things like that. Uh, and then later I wanted to be a doctor, uh -huh. and then I had a whole series of crazy careers and then I finally came back to technology. Uh-huh. The uh yeah. I, I grew up in the seventies too and those early kind of computer days were very interesting times, weren't they? <laughs> they were fantastic. I have uh behind me you can see a little bit of my collection of uh vintage advertisements from those days. Uh CompuServe and uh the TRS eighty and all the good stuff. It was it was a lot of fun back then. Awesome. When did you at what point did you discover the internet and think okay, this is, this is a game changer and this is actually somewhere where I want to build a career. It's not just for entertainment. You know, it's hard to say when it actually became the internet. I remember the BBS days yeah. when we dial up via modem uh, and then there was the, the Usenet, stuff like that, and Gopher and things like that and it just sort of trickled in. Um, and around high school, when I was in high school, I started to see the use of it. Uh, sadly, I was too distracted to really care about it. <laughs> And it grew up quite a bit. I didn't come back to technology until it was in my late 20s. Uh, and the specialty of the day was bad websites. So <laughs> I missed a lot of the beginning and came in sort of for the good part. Right. Do you remember the first time you saw the WordPress dashboard? I remember, I remember the movable type uh -huh. days. Uh, and I remember there being total chaos as everybody was trying to migrate off. I don't remember why, but there was some reason... Everybody began to, to hate uh, Movable, and we were moving to WordPress, and I remember struggling with it as a very early product. It's fuzzy, but I remember something like 10 years ago. Yeah. Or what was the date? Do you remember? Well, that would, that would be right, because it was 2003, that we're, it was like May 2003, the first release of WordPress, and I think, I think the mass exodus from Movable Type happened, because if my memory serves me correctly, I think Movable Type started charging for their service. And everyone just that went, well, we're not paying. We're going to move to WordPress because it's free. Yeah, a sign of things to come. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so WordPress turned 10 last year in May 2013. So uh, it's, uh, it's, it's happened so quickly. Um, thinking about what you do today at SourceSeek, which we're going to talk more about uh, in, in a little while, how do you describe what you do in one sentence when you meet someone for, your, for the first time? What's your elevator pitch, so to speak? 
Uh, we help people make outsourcing succeed. That's it. Wow. And that's not easy to do. And when, when you say outsourcing, is it, is it specifically technology outsourcing or is it admin outsourcing or is it finance outsourcing? It's, it's pretty much software outsourcing. Um, nowadays, that includes things like UI and UX, a little bit of graphic design, um, marketing automation, <clears throat> things like that. Uh, but when it comes to things like virtual assistants, uh, it's hard to compete with people like Chris Ducker. Um, there's people that are much better versed. Software is a very unique problem, mm. uh, especially when you take it overseas, and that's our specialty. Right. Awesome. Well, we're going to talk a lot more about that in, uh, in a little while. What do you spend most of your time actually doing day to day? Like, I mean, are you just flying around the world interviewing developers or are you managing people or systems? What is it you actually do mostly? I do, I basically do three things. Uh, if I'm home, I am on the phone with uh, clients, new clients, and they're asking me questions like, I'm looking for this type of outsourcing team, what do I do? And we have a consultation and we try to match them up. Um, or I'm down in my garage trying to make a video uh, that's useful for people. Um, and I'm on the road four or five times a year. Uh, and I'm flying around like a, like a crazy person. Um, you couldn't believe how many countries I've been to this year. Wow. Uh, meeting with vendors, uh, getting the coveted uh, handshake photo. So a little bit of pr proof that you've been there. <laughs> talking to their management and walking around and getting a feel for it and, and vetting uh, developers. And that's what eats up most of my time. Wow. Do you have a map somewhere at home with pins with all the kind of countries that you've been to? No, but I, you know, I have a, I've traveled a, a lot. Uh, when I was a kid, I was lucky enough to be dragged around by my parents on holidays and things like that. And uh, I got the travel bug. Yeah, yeah. And I've been, I've lived in, um, I lived in India. I lived in Holland. I lived in New Zealand. Oh, wow. uh, I lived in Hong Kong, all over the States. And I just can't, uh, I can't stop doing it. Wow. So awesome. that would be quite a map. Yeah, yeah. Have you ever been to Australia? I've been to Australia, but when I was living in New Zealand, we were um, doing a project. This is uh, around 1998. Um, it was the world's first online shopping with a pick-and-pack delivery. Oh, and wow. we were doing it for Woolworths, for Woolies over right. in New Zealand. Wow. And we flew over to Sydney to kick off a team uh, that was doing it there. And I saw almost nothing uh, of Sydney. I, I was... Yeah, yeah. Wall to wall meetings, and then I returned to do the same thing. So I've been there, right? But I, I, I know that I want to go back, but I don't know anything about it. Yeah, right. Well, you should come sometime. It's a beautiful country, and when you do come, please hook us up, and I'll definitely, we'll, we'll definitely show you around because it is a beautiful country. I'll make it there. Awesome. Um, what's the one thing that keeps you awake at night about about the business and about what it is you do? I sleep pretty well at night. Um, <laughs> You know, I, after the dot-com boom, the first one, um, we, I had a sort of a meager exit. Um, but I was a younger guy. I made a little bit of money, and I, I was uh, very thrilled about that. And then I started my own business in 2001. We had a lot of sleepless nights. Um, what kept me awake back then were, was just the dependencies um, of the business that I had. I had people working for me. I was outsourcing all over the place. And I was counting on the client to deliver um, content, things like that. Mm. I was counting on the developers to fix bugs. I was counting on the project managers. It seemed like I was in the middle <clears throat> of this web of dependencies. And it was pretty stressful. Mm. Um, over the years, I've sort of learned two things. One of them is how to make it work better. Um, we have less failure. Most of it is expectations management. You know, we don't bite off more than we can chew. Mm. And the other one I've learned is uh, it's just you got to get that sleep and... Not everything is perfect, so mm. standard stuff, I think. But mainly depending on others makes me crazy. Yeah, yeah. I'm keen to explore that a little bit more uh, when we start talking about what you do at SourceSeek. Um, just before we get there, a little bit more about Dave Hecker, the man. What do you do when you're not working? How do you keep your balance? What do I? Well, I've got uh, I've got a six year old son. Uh huh. Takes up a lot of time. Awesome. Um, I spend a lot of time playing. Uh, playing video games on my phone, embarrassingly. Um, <laughs> I do a lot of writing. Uh, I play uh, bass and banjo. I used to play in bands professionally. Cool. Uh, now I just play around the house. Yeah. Uh, and I do a lot of uh, reading and, and hanging around. I spend, we have a, a beach home, um, and we spend a lot of time there. Beautiful. And just run-of-the-mill stuff. Beautiful. Awesome. Easy life. Sounds gorgeous. Yeah. I love it. It's um, not bad. <laughs> 
And uh, if you could, if you could wave a magic wand, it kind of ties into the uh, the uh, what keeps you awake at night question. If you could wave a magic wand and fix one thing about the business right now, what would it be? Right now, what what frustrates me about the business is um, we can't fit every client. Uh, I had a call from a client today. He was really new to software development. Um, he had a decent budget. He's got fifty thousand uh, dollars, but his expectations were out of whack. <clears throat> and the reason is that uh, in this business, there's always somebody waiting around to bid any price you may want for mm. any project. Mm. If you give me a project, I can, somebody will bid it for $1,000, mm. someone will bid it for a million. Mm. So clients get their expectations managed all over the place. Mm. And then they call me and I have to reset those expectations, which is tough. So mm. uh, I, I, I wish there was a, more of a barrier to entry. I wish there was a little more information control and a little bit less uh, BS mm. going around so that clients could be less uh, abused at the mm. hands of hungry developers. Mm. Yeah, it's a nice segue into exactly what you guys do at SourceSeek. Uh, before we start exploring how you've, how you've kind of um, decided to solve this problem and why and exactly what it is you're doing, just, just give people the kind of overall uh, idea of the, the high-level uh, kind of pitch of what SourceSeek is. And by the way, I'll just spell it out so that people can get the, the link. It's S-O-U-R-C-E-S-E-E-K, SourceSeek. So what is SourceSeek? What do you guys do? Uh, SourceSeek does... One very simple thing, uh, we connect clients um, with great software teams so they can outsource their projects and not get uh, ripped off, and beat up, and, and all the bad things that happen. Um, and that's all we do. Uh, I, I still own another software company that I started in 2001, mm -hmm. but I've spent 10 years now trying to figure out how do I run a business and leverage my skills without doing any services? Mm. And this business is the answer to that. Um, the reason that it works for us is because when we when we do a match, we don't just uh, we don't take leads from clients and just circulate them. Um, that's not a good model. There's a lot of people trying to do that. Mm. We have a lot of experience working with clients and figuring out what makes them tick. What do they need? What do they think they need? What do they really need? Um, what is their process? Do they need project management? Um, do they know how to write a specification? Do they know how to manage a team? Or do they need management? Or are they sensitive to cultural things, accents, and we dig in pretty deep uh, with them, which I've become good at doing because uh, it's just so many years gone by. <clears throat> and then we do the same thing with vendors. I fly around and I try to figure out uh, for a particular team, uh, what kind of client is going to be successful, and profitable, and happy for this team. And then we make a match. Uh, we, uh, my partner says we're like eHarmony uh, for <laughs> clients and vendors. Um, we don't sell leads ever. We do get a finder's fee from the vendor. And that's how we make some money. Uh, but the reason we do is because we bring vendors great clients. Um, and we bring clients great vendors so everybody's happy. And finally, I'm in the middle. I give everybody honest advice mm -hmm. and it's objective. And uh, we don't have to do any programming. Mm. <laughs> that's what we do. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. So you, okay, so the business model for you guys is that the, so the software teams pay you a finder's fee for finding them a client, yeah? Yes. Okay. So let's just talk about, let's just go right back to basics. Let's talk about outsourcing. What do, why do you think outsourcing is so appealing? I mean, I know this might be an obvious question, but just let's just pretend that there's some people watching this interview that have never outsourced and, in fact, have only heard bad things about outsourcing and have been told that they should never outsource, which, by the way, I can tell you is very common, particularly for some reason in the WordPress space. Whenever I go to WordPress meetups or WordCamps, there always tends to be a few people, quite a few people, who have really um, uh, uh, kind of bad things to say about outsourcing and kind of frown upon the whole outsourcing thing and say, oh, you know, I'll, I'll never outsource because there's no integrity when you outsource. So first of all, I mean, why do you think there is that kind of bad rap about outsourcing and second and the second part of the question is what do you think the appeal is with outsourcing well the appeal the, the bad rap is a big question um and there's there's some particular bad rap in the wordpress space but the <clears throat> the appeal is simply need um if i could have all of my developers uh in this room with me or you know in an office with me uh and be profitable I would love that. I think mm. everybody would. Mm. I've never heard anyone start do a startup and say, uh, I'm going to outsource the whole thing for fun. Yeah. You know, <laughs> the reason we do it is because either we can't do it ourselves, we don't have time, we don't have the skills, or we have some programmers and they're too busy. 
-hmm. So I, I think it's uh, there's a reason everybody hates it. Uh, right. You would much rather do it yourself. Um, but when you go into offshoring, and about 60% of what we do is, is overseas, maybe more, mm -hmm. um, the reason that you take it that far is for price. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to pay $150 an hour for a developer in New York or more, uh, why not pay $40 an hour for an equally good developer in Eastern Europe? Uh, of course, there's a lot of overhead that comes with that. Mm. But I, I, you know, I, don't really, I, I don't really pitch or evangelize outsourcing on its own. I think it's a necessary evil. Mm -hmm. um, there's certainly a, uh, a run on developers. They're hard to find. Mm. And for every person that says, I'll never outsource, outsourcing, outsourcing is bad. You have to have your own developers. There's a hundred other people that say, that's lovely, but I don't have $300,000. I'm, I'm yeah. funded out of pocket. Yeah. Or I'm running a huge business and I want to save some money. And those are the people that come to us, people mm. that they have no choice but yeah. to do it. And it seems to me that there's been there's been kind of the, the the whole there's been a greater awareness of outsourcing and you know I mean I don't want to put too much at, at Tim Ferriss's I don't want to give him too much credit but certainly the four hour work week kicked off for me it feels like it kicked off a big wave of of uh, of interest in the idea of outsourcing and being kind of hands off do you think that that's actually uh, do, do you think that that's actually um, facilitated people having unrealistic expectations about outsourcing? Uh, I, I'm sure it contributed to that. Mm. Um, there's a lot of reasons people have unrealistic expectations, but the four-hour work week definitely <clears throat> brought it to the mainstream. But, you know, the stars were aligning. Um, the U.S. economy was uh, taking a big dump. So when people have less money, suddenly they're more interested in outsourcing and offshoring to save money. Um, and meanwhile, the outsourced services were really increasing in quality. Ten years ago, everybody made jokes about uh, Indian developer, you know, he's on a train with a goat next to him. Uh, <laughs> and now you don't really hear that anymore. People are a little more accustomed to it. It's not as taboo as mm. it used to be. Mm. So it really has come into the mainstream. But I see most of it uh, happening simply because of the need. Mm. People have to outsource now. They can't afford to hire their own developers, and there aren't enough of them to go around anyways. Yeah. And I've watched over the last three years people who used to say, I'll never outsource these, these big platitudes. I've been hearing it for 20 years. Uh, you can't do it. It won't work. They're terrible. They're going to steal your code. And those very same people are saying, well, we, you know, we do know this one good team. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And people are coming around. But Tim Ferriss definitely helped that. Yeah. So, so what do you think – why do you think a lot of people are afraid? Because when I hear people sort of saying negative things about outsourcing and saying that you should never do it and you'll lose your integrity, I, for me, all I hear is fear. It's just fear of the unknown. Why do you think people are afraid of outsourcing? Well, there's plenty to be afraid of in outsourcing. Um, you know, we're in the software world, and the software world is very, very complicated. Uh, mm. Doing a software project under the best circumstances with everyone in the same room and you've got your rock star developers and, and you're organized and everything is beautiful, is no picnic. Mm. Um, so many projects go over budget or uh, they just run off the rails. That's before outsourcing. So <laughs> if we look at outsourcing as um, outsourcing a very, very difficult thing and then making it even harder by taking people and putting them all over the world, uh, people are trying to profit on your business. You're at the, 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 the mercy of other managers, things like that. And a very difficult thing just got a lot harder. Um, so I, I see outsourcing as sort of raising the, the stakes and we take something that's already frustrating enough and turning it into a big mess. <laughs> the failure rate is very, very high. Uh, and imagine, you know, again, back to the, the zero barrier to entry, which is my pet peeve. So if somebody calls me and they say, I want to get something built, here's my specification, I want to spend $10,000 and I tell them, I wouldn't do it. I think that you're not spending enough. You should scope it down. Um, but I think you shouldn't expect to get that done at good quality for that price. There is somebody waiting uh, just right next to me who will say, I'll do it for $10,000. Mm. And if you want it to be $5,000, that's available too. And mm. if you want to go out on Craigslist or Elance, maybe $1,000. And that means it's very, very difficult for clients. They have every right uh, to be scared. It's mm. a it's a mess. We have a good success rate, uh, but there's a reason our phone is ringing. You know, that's how our company was born. People calling and saying, uh, we can't screw it up again. How do you do it? Will you help us? 
So this is this is. I mean, I've I've had a lot of experience with outsourcing. Uh, we we failed a lot uh, as managers of outsourcing staff. Uh, a lot of when we first started out, we were very scared about outsourcing, very fearful, had no idea what to expect, and we got a lot of things wrong. And in hindsight, we understand now that it was completely because we didn't know what we were doing, and we didn't know how to manage local staff, let alone remote staff. Um, so it was a learning curve for us. But we now have a, we have an office in Manila. We have two developers and a project manager in Manila who are staff. They work, you know, for our company, and we Great. we we rent the office in Manila. And we also have uh, one of our developers travels around the world. He he's based. He lives here in Queensland, but he's just spent you know three months in China, and he's been developing projects for us while he's been there. So um, I understand the complexities of working with a remote team, and I also understand that it's a massive. Doing, doing what you do, matching clients with software teams, is a massive problem to solve. What, at some point, did anyone say to you, Dave, you're nuts for trying to solve this problem and to build a company around it? Like, you are, this is craziness? No, it was kind of the reverse. This company was, it, 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 uh, it emerged or, organically. Um, my other company... You know, started in 2001, and we've never had any local employees. It's been outsourced the entire time. And it was profitable. It took a, There were some learning curves, uh, but it's still uh, doing well today. But we narrowed the scope of what we would do. We would uh, Now we only do Python and Node, and we only do it for funded startups. Uh-huh. Agile only, and that's it. So this leaves a lot of work on the table, but I like it that way. Specialization has been good for us. Mm. But people start calling and say, can you do a Java job? Uh, and I'd say, no, but why don't, you, why don't you take it to this company over here? Uh, and then somebody would call and say, how about a .NET job? Uh, do you know anybody overseas? And say, no, well, I, I can't help you with that except why don't you call this company? And this began to happen more and more. And suddenly I found myself being a consultant to people who have offshore train wrecks. And <laughs> instead of people saying, uh, you're crazy to do this, I started to realize that uh, this could be a business. Uh, people calling all the time. And saying, uh, you know, I can't afford to bring this on shore. I hate my team in whatever country. Can you recommend? And uh, finally, after years and years of this, I took on a couple of partners and said, let's just make a business out of it. So, so without, talk about market feedback. Without giving away your secret sauce, what are the kind of the three big ticket items you think that have contributed to your success in terms of matching clients with teams and having a successful outcome? Oh, gee, the, the, the sauce isn't very secret. Um, <laughs> you know, a lot of what I do is I, uh, I you know, back to the expectations management. Um, I love being in this position because I can be brutally honest um, with clients. Mm. I am not trying to sell a client anything. Um, we will get our little fee if we make a connection mm-hmm. and it goes okay for the first couple of months, mm-hmm. regardless of who we connect them to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the same with the vendors, right? It serves me to bring them good clients. So if I bring a client in, I'll tell them exactly what's going on. I'll tell them the straight story. And if a, uh, if a client comes to me with, with expectations that haven't been set well, I'll try to correct it. That, for me, seems to be the number one thing that people keep coming back uh, over and over again because they, it's very difficult to get somebody who's a um, – you know, I'm an ex-developer. I used to be a DBA and a developer and uh, – a historian and a process consultant and all that stuff, computer historian. So, uh, you know, I can speak uh, to a fairly high level of executive mm-hmm. uh, and they need a trusted advisor in the outsourcing space and there's only a few people doing it. That seems to be the, the, the public sauce. That's, you know, the truth telling. The other piece of it is just having done it for a long time. Um, I, I can look at a client or a developer team and say, uh, this client is not going to do well with an offshore development center. This client cannot manage their own developers. They're going to need an agency who can do it for them. Mm. Or I can look at a vendor and say, this vendor is not going to do well uh, with a reseller uh, WordPress agency. That agency is going to make this vendor crazy and they're going to hate me. They need steady work. They're just not like that. Um, and just getting to know the personality. And it really is like matchmaking. Mm. Once you get there, I keep a lot of notes and I, I kind of do it from the gut. And uh, practice is pretty much it. There's no secret. And do you, you know, it's, it's, it's so, it's so, um, it sounds so obvious when you say it like that, but it's actually really complicated because I think the, the initial 
entry into outsourcing is word like in our space a wordpress consultant or a wordpress developer has got too much work on needs some help and can see this possibility that I can build this business and actually get off the code. If I can just get some other people to do the code for me, I can actually scale this thing and take on more clients and make some more profit. And the problem I see happening is that a lot of consultants think that they can just offload the development work to someone else on the internet, yeah? And the best advice I ever got from a friend of mine, David Jennings, who's got a team in the Philippines, when we were looking at getting a team in the Philippines, he said, go over there and meet them and get to know them and Absolutely. get to know their families and get to know their situation. And that was the best advice I ever got because it, changed, it fundamentally changed my perception and my whole attitude and approach towards having remote staff. Um, so just fantastic it, advice. Yeah, it is. It was great advice. Um, the... What, what if what if you what if what if a WordPress? So do you the guys that you the the vendors that you match with your clients are they usually long term relationships or is it done on a per project basis? Because I know that in in our space the first entry into outsourcing is look I just need someone to help me with this project. If that goes well, then maybe I'll get them to help me with the next project, and then you know in six months time I'll put them on full time. Yeah, and this is why um, WordPress agencies, small agencies are very, very difficult to match um, because you're in this difficult place where you really can't afford to bring on someone full time, uh, but you need some work done now. And of course, if you succeed on the next few projects, then you'll be growing like crazy. Everything will be great. The, the trick to it is just to understand what it looks like uh, to the vendor. Um, and this is one of the reasons it's such a good idea to get on that plane. There is no substitute for FaceTime. When you get on a plane and you go visit the vendor, you realize that the the client is extremely nervous about their time and their money and their business, right? Mm. They have worked their ass off to build this business. It's everything to them, wife and kids, whatever it is. Yep. Then you go over to the vendor shop, uh, you know, in Ukraine or China or Philippines, and you realize that they have done exactly the same thing. Mm. They're building the exact same business um, or the, the, the corollary business. It is only the currency exchange that determines which way the money is going. So they have the exact same interest in success. Um, so what you need to do is look at them and say, if you take two vendors um, and you bring one of them a WordPress client, and that WordPress client is always gonna do the same thing. They're gonna say, hey, I, um, I got a great lead. Uh, they're not signed yet. They wanna know how much it's gonna cost to do this. And they send it over to the vendor, and the vendor says, well, I, I don't know, it's, it's not signed. Are you paying us for this? Should we do a big estimation? Do we have time for this? Are you wasting our time? It's stressful for the vendor. Mm. So we look for vendors that are sort of accustomed to that. Uh, there are vendors that specialize in resellers. They know all about it. I, I was a vendor like that for a long time. Mm -hmm. uh, and they sort of lump it into the cost. They, they understand how to do estimations quickly and help their clients sell in hopes of getting the work back. Uh, so when I sit with a vendor overseas, I try to figure out, are they that kind of vendor? And I do know some vendors that are like that. Uh, the opposite of that uh, is a vendor that is more of an ODC shop. Um, a lot of shops will say, look, we'll, we'll, we'll provide a full-time software developer that speaks English. We'll give them an office and a chair and a desk and all of this, and we'll take care of the taxes and the payment, and you have to manage him. Mm -hmm. Full-time, only three-month minimum. These, these people do not want to do your estimation. They're not interested in your little WordPress job. Mm. So... Imagine the frustration when people are sending their RFPs all over the place. Mm. Um, so we look on the client side, it's fairly easy. A small WordPress agency has a particular persona. Um, on the vendor side, we want to find a vendor who not only can do it, but will say, yeah, we'll do it. We, we have a business built on doing estimations for our clients uh, because we've learned how to get downstream work. We know how to help you grow. That's a very specific thing. Client, uh, vendors like that will also do things like be willing to work on your wacky process, right? Uh, like if you, um, you know, a lot of people are email only. Mm. So a reseller friendly vendor will be willing to do that. They'll use your base camp. They'll use your tracker. They'll use your Asana. They don't really care. They're used to rolling with the punches. Mm -hmm. um, another agency might say, you know what? Uh, screw you guys. Everybody has to use Pivotal Tracker. That's the only thing we use. Yeah. That's not going to end well for a little WordPress shop. Mm. So... You know, these are the kind of things uh, that we look for. It's, uh, 
it's like like-minded and an understanding of each other. Mm-hmm. It's hard to find offshore companies, especially, that are good at catering to the needs of small WordPress shops. Um, and one of the reasons is that WordPress is WordPress is a gateway uh, service. Mm. A lot of people get their start doing WordPress. As they become more adept at um, uh, you know at operating a business and doing services, uh, a couple of things happen. One is they want to raise their rates, uh, and two is they realize that the WordPress uh, audience, the the market for WordPress services, is fairly low end. So you're not going to get $180 an hour for WordPress work uh, because everybody's jumping in and doing it, and it's sort of at the beginning. So you want to climb the ladder. Some companies will go into products. Some people, like Dan Norris, mm. um, he figured out a way to mm. sort of productize WordPress support, um, and that's amazing. Uh, you build a plugin, you do training, you know, so things like what you're doing, uh, or you get out of it completely. So what we do see is that WordPress shops that are good uh, tend not to be the same shop in three years. I've never seen a WordPress shop mm. do nothing but WordPress for 10 years. Mm. People sort of graduate from it. Yeah. And the same with the offshore vendors. It's interesting you mentioned that too because, I mean, I'm talking to a couple of the big WordPress agencies uh, like the crowd favorites or the, you know, human maids uh, of the world and, or, or you know, the 10-ups. And th- those guys are doing such custom WordPress installations at an enterprise level that, you know, a big part of what they do isn't even recognizable as WordPress. It's deep yeah. API integration with other third-party services. And WordPress actually might become, you know, 12.5% of the actual job, you know what I mean? But they started yeah. out as a WordPress shop, and you're right. They're, very different, they're a very different business now than they were three years ago. Yeah, and it's a little bit of a Cinderella story. I mean, for every, for every big enterprise WordPress shop, oh, yeah. there are maybe 10,000 yeah. non-enterprise shops. So, yeah. you know, there's exceptions to every rule, but I, if I were to start another services company, uh, enterprise, Word, enterprise WordPress, it would not be the direction I would go. In. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> Very interesting. Yeah. So, so when if a WordPress consultant is you know on the edge of outsourcing and understands the benefits of it and wants to do it, what do you think the very, 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 very first thing is that they should do? I think the first thing they should do is the sort of uh, look in the mirror uh, session. <clears throat> it's the first thing we do on the phone when we talk to a client. Uh, I ask them uh, first. First, they want to tell me what they need. Because that's what everybody starts with. I need mm. somebody who's going to build this and who's going to get it done by this date and all of that. It's what they need for their business. So that's, that's the, the pain that the client is feeling. In order to make a match, we have to go past that and say, what is it that you bring to the table? Okay, look at yourself in the mirror and say, okay, you're bringing in business. It's fantastic. Um, do you bring great technical skill? Probably because you've been doing this on your own for a while. Uh, do you bring management skill? Probably not because – Management skill is hard-earned, like you were talking about. Mm. Um, it's very difficult to learn to manage these guys. Mm. Uh, so if somebody's coming from nowhere and they've been a one-man shop, uh, and we look at the management, that's the, the first gap we're going to look at. Uh, and we try to get clients to look at it, small clients like this. Um, let's say you put uh, you know, 100 units of work out. You throw it over the fence, and it's going to magically get done while you're sleeping and then come back perfectly. And let's say that did happen in a perfect world. You should expect to put anywhere from 15 to 50% of that time in overhead to manage it. Mm. Right? If nothing is free, uh, if you think it takes time to manage yourself and your own work, uh, it takes much more to manage the overseas team. A lot of people are very uh, humbled by that when they first try it. Uh, and they'll blame the vendor and things like that. Mm. But we sort of counsel WordPress clients that you know this is going to be tough. So... Even if you're going to outsource a single job, let's talk about, um, at, ver- at the very least, let's set you up on base camp. Mm. Um, or let's, let's get the expectations about how are you going to work with the vendor? Um, are you going to agree on the deadlines together or are you going to impose them on the developer? Because mm. that doesn't go well all the time. And things like that. And we, we try to teach the, uh, the small agencies that want to grow up uh, to really embrace the management piece and, and learn that that is not a bad thing, it's overhead that you get an incredible return on, but you can't pretend it's not there. No one has yeah. ever sent a spec to another developer and then it just came back and it was done. It's always tough. And that's a, a learning curve um, that a lot of small agencies have to go through. 
a lot of them don't make it. Uh, mm -hmm. Management is a skill, and you have to sort of like it to get good at it. But lots and lots of them do. We help a lot of people get through it. Mm. Awesome. Um, hey, listen, before we get into our elevation round, I want to announce this competition because I think they're, at this point in the interview, I'm feeling like there's a whole bunch of people I know that would just be really keen to actually get on the phone and pick your brain and ask these questions and help them get over their hurdles so they can start this journey. So here's what we're going to do in this competition. Um, Dave is giving away a 20-minute Skype session, complimentary Skype session to the winner of this competition so that you can get on the line and ask Dave all about outsourcing and hopefully take those first uh, steps and have someone hold your hand. So in order to enter the competition, leave a comment underneath this video and tell us the number one challenge that you've got with outsourcing and maybe it is, I'm just too scared to do it. That's totally fine. Or maybe you've done it once on Odesk or Elance and it was horrible. That's totally fine. Whatever your experience is, tell us the number one challenge you've got with outsourcing or the number one thing holding you back from, from actually doing it. Um, leave that comment underneath the video and I'll get Dave to swing by in a couple of weeks and award the prize. Sound good, Dave? Absolutely. Awesome. All right, let's get stuck into our... Hey, by the way, um, before we do the elevation round, there are two things that I want to highlight to viewers. You wrote a book a long time ago that was published by SitePoint called Outsourcing Web Projects, Six Steps to a Smarter Business. And yeah. I know it was written a long time ago. I don't know how long ago it was. Here we go. First published in 2010, right? So it's... I think that was probably the second edition. Okay. Uh, so it was. So you wrote it a long time ago. But it's yeah. funny because I'm just reading the table of contents here, right? The Six Steps to a Smarter Business. I actually think they're extremely relevant. And I think a lot of people probably haven't got these things in place. I'm just going to drill through them right now. Get right. vendors competing for your job, find the perfect outsourcing partner, achieve the best price, draw up an agreement, keep the project on track, and develop a long-term relationship with your vendor. And I reckon point six is the one thing that most people don't consider when they start outsourcing. They're not looking at a long-term thing. They're just trying to solve some short-term pain. And I think that's a mindset shift that's really important to make. Yeah, that's why getting on that flight is so yeah. important. Even for a small project, you're not going to fly somewhere for a $1,000 project. That's right. But, um, boy, it goes a long way to ask about somebody's personal life, find out their birthday, anything like that. Um, you really have to build on it. But, um, you know, had I not sold the rights to that book completely, to SidePoint, because it was the first thing I'd ever written, I'd probably still be selling it today. But instead, I'm up producing all new content. So it's, <laughs> it's pretty good. And that book... Um, I don't really get any profit from it, but it is quite good for people on the lower end uh, of the scale. It's not meant for enterprise uh, clients. If, you're, if you've got a little agency and you want to grow it up and use outsourcing, it's, it's an excellent book and it's, um, it's been on there for so long that it's pretty cheap now. Yeah. So I'd, I'd recommend it. I'm going to put a link to this. I found it on the Goodreads website, which I love, by the way. Goodreads.com is fantastic. I'm going to put a, a link to your book on Goodreads in the show notes. And the other thing I'm going to link to is SourceSeek. Tell us about the market pricing guide that you guys put out every year. The market pricing guide is an answer to the number one question that we get asked, and it's incredibly hard to answer. People call and they say, uh, this is what I need. How much will it cost? And it's easy to understand why people need this information, especially resellers, especially your, your one-person um, uh, WordPress shop or your husband and wife shop. You know, this is a small business. They need to know how much it's going to cost, and it's very, very difficult to tell you how much does a developer cost. It costs between uh, 8 and $75 an hour. So uh, every year uh, we produce a bunch of numbers based on what I see out in the world, uh, for quality developers so that people know how much to spend, how much is too much, and how much is the dreaded not enough. Um, and the, it's a white paper that it does have a chart at the end that shows the pricing. And I know everybody skips to the end, but after you skip to the end, uh, you see this matrix and you can go back to the beginning. And it's a very quick walkthrough of how to identify what kind of a client are you. Are you a reseller? Are you an enterprise client? What are you? Uh, and then look at the different types of vendors and figure out what might fit. Then you can look at it and say, this type of a, a vendor, a boutique vendor of this scale in this region will cost this much. And then you get that satisfaction you've been looking for. 
Awesome. So I'm going to put a link to this in the show notes as well, which is the SourceSeek Market Pricing Guide, or you could just Google SourceSeek Market Pricing Guide like I just did, and guess what? They come up number one, two, and three, and four, which is awesome. So uh, I'll put a link to the show in, in this to the show notes. Um, check it out uh, at SourceSeek.com, the Market Pricing Guide, which is fantastic. And also, <clears throat> you guys have got a really good YouTube channel, and I see that you're making some videos, basically educational videos, educating people about what's involved in outsourcing. Yeah, and the videos are very nicely targeted, I think, to your audience. Um, you know, we talk to enterprise clients. Um, I, I've helped IBM with their uh, offshore train wreck, and that was quite a train wreck. Um, <laughs> but we deal with a lot of smaller clients. It doesn't have to be a one-off, a single person, but um, people who are just trying to grow, the videos are, are well-targeted. It'll help you with all aspects of, uh, of outsourcing. And what I really like to do, since I'm recording these at home, is take questions. If anybody wants to see, they have a specific question. You know, how do I how do I deal with this particular type of WordPress project? I can't do it on my own. I need to outsource it. I need to do it in two weeks to close the deal. What do I do? Um, I love to get questions like that. Knock out a video and get it out there. You know, I love this because a lot of I just love this. You know, really basic content marketing thing you're doing, putting out educational videos and educating the market, and you're actually prepared to get on camera, put a microphone on, and share your knowledge, which a lot of people are just too scared to do or are too self-conscious to do that. Have you had to kind of overcome any little niggling voices of self-doubt to actually get up there and make some videos? You know, yes. Uh, I, I suffered from the uh, the idea that you, you you give away just enough, you tease it out, and then you go in for the kill. You know, now, I'm not a marketer. I, I'm, I'm a, and I'm certainly not a salesperson. I, I can't really sell anything to anyone. But my idea of marketing was to sort of get uh, some audience and then try to sell them. But over the years, I, you know, we're, we're all inundated now with content marketing. Most of it is, is bad. Mm. Some of it is really, really good. Um, I, I recently had an experience with a, a content marketer who just kept sending me uh, all this great information about content marketing. And uh, there was not even a single call to action. At the very, very bottom, there was all his contact information, and that was it. And it kept coming and coming and coming. And eventually, I called him, and, and I hired the guy. You know? <laughs> and I just slowly was convinced that um, the, the leap of faith is this. Uh, I will give away any of the secrets that I have because they're not really secret. Mm. And I spend a lot of money flying around and meeting these guys and I've got 20 years of experience, and I can't really give somebody that. So if I give someone some information, this is what I've learned the hard way. If I give someone some information and they go and use it to their own benefit, they will appreciate it, and they probably wouldn't have paid for it anyways. Yeah. If I give someone some information and they really appreciate it and they want a little bit more but there's no video, hopefully they'll call, and it is starting to work. It's only been about a – I mean, we've only had the partnership for – Six months, it's a formal company, and I've only been making content for a year and a half, and uh, the traffic is picking up. So wow. awesome. I'm going for broke. I'm awesome. I, I, giving away any, any, any information I have, uh, just ask, and uh, there are no more secrets. Good on you. That's great. I love <laughs> it. And that's motivation and inspiration for all of us. Just get out of your own way and make some videos and put out some information and educate your market. Uh, okay. Let's do the Elevation round. For those that don't know, WP Elevation is a business accelerator program for WordPress consultants where we help you scale up and grow your WordPress business by bringing you awesome guests like Dave from SourceSeek. So this is a quick lightning round. I'm going to ask you a series of quick questions about freelancing and consulting, and you'll just give us some quick questions off the top of your head. All right, what's the number one thing any freelancer or consultant needs to know? The number one thing, don't multitask. Take breaks. <laughs> Oh, I got two things in. I like this. Tell me more. <laughs> I, I, I've been against multitasking for years and years. And then a few years ago, it was the hottest thing. Everybody's doing a million things. Now the pendulum goes the other way. But I'm completely convinced I don't allow laptops at meetings. I don't want people multitasking. I want to do one thing at a time. It seems to work. And taking breaks is this is old advice, right? This is business advice from you know, the 1800s, but if you're working 16 hours a day and you're not taking breaks, your work sucks no matter how good you think it is. You gotta take that break. Uh, if you say, I can't take a break, I've got too much going on, it's not possible, that's when you need a break. Take, take a half a day. I wish I had. Um, you've gotta do it no matter how hungry and hard you're working. 
take a break. That's great advice and something and advice that I need to heed. And I've got my wife's voice in the back of my ear right now telling me exactly the same thing. Stop multitasking and uh, don't and take more breaks. Step away from the computer, step outside and get some fresh air. Yeah. Uh, what's the best thing you've ever done to find new customers? Uh, I don't know that I've ever done anything good. To, uh, I mean, I'm a black hole of marketing. The best thing I've ever done is to hire uh, a really good marketing consultant and then find out that they weren't very good. And then six marketing consultants later, I found a good one. So I've got very little to offer. I, I'm doing the content marketing now because I've been taught to do it. So I won't even pretend to offer any advice on that. <laughs> I love it. I'm going to write. I'm going to write. Hire and fire lots of marketing consultants. <laughs> well, I learned a lot along the way. Awesome. Uh, this is an interesting question for you. How do you stop competing on price? Oh, that that's easy. Um, a lot of the um, overseas vendors uh, come to us, and they want very different advice. They want to know how to reach uh, reach clients and raise their price. Uh, the advice for this one is also far from secret. Um, it is the, uh, the jack of all trades versus uh, the specialist and fulfilling a specific need. Mm. Um, I think that if you're, if you're taking a wide variety of jobs and you're doing that because you need to pay the bills, sometimes you have to do that out of need, but you have to specialize. There's, there's something that everybody can be best at. I've worked with a lot of clients and said, look, I'm looking at your client list, you've got 23 jobs, and of those jobs, there's, there's PHP, there's .NET, there's a wacky app, you know, there's some crazy stuff on here, but you know, nine of them are law firms. So at the very least, be a law firm agency and specialize in that and learn about that and dig into it and then add into it a personality, be the law firm, uh, the company that does WordPress sites for law firms that are really bouncy and upbeat or that are very targeted towards people that are going to litigation and personal injury, things like that, and just specialize and specialize and specialize and do what your market is asking for. Don't do what you're passionate. I'm not really, not really a big believer in do what, you know, do what you're passionate about mm. and your business will grow. I've never seen that work. Do what you're good at mm. and that people are telling you that you're good at, but don't take anything that comes through the door. Interesting. And do then the rates go up. What do you think people are scared to specialize? Do you think it's because they're afraid they're going to miss out on all the other work? Yeah, sure. Yeah. I did it. Yeah. I mean, we were taking, we had a wide variety of, of jobs coming in. I didn't say no to anything. And for a few years, we stumbled along that way. It went okay. But when we started to specialize, uh, it changed radically. The rates went way, way up. You have mm. to be fantastic at something. You have to be yeah. special in some way. Don't have to be very special, but you've got to be special. That's awesome advice. Uh, any tips on writing better proposals? Uh, yes. Um, I actually did a, a, a long video about this, and there's a bunch of it in the SitePoint book. But one of the things that uh, I've done with a lot of clients is help them to write proposals, um, RFPs, and, and for Elance as well. The trick to it is to go back to this mentality that you are in business and you have a need and that the person you want to work with is also in business and has a need. You don't want a hungry, desperate person bidding on your job. That's probably not going to be a reliable program or, or company. So how do you do that? You want to make yourself very attractive. Um, and here's, a, here's an example that I use. We go back to the dating analogy. So let's say you're on Match.com and you want to meet a, a, a woman. So uh, instead of going uh, to your profile and doing what a lot of people do in Elance, which is uh, say – Here's what I'm looking for a woman that she's, she has this color hair and this height and this much education. Uh, and please be prepared to send your diploma. Um, you have to respond within three days. I need a letter from your mother and 15 references from all your friends. Uh, you will not get paid unless the date is, uh, you know, this and that. And putting all these restrictions, um, you, not only are you not going to attract a fantastic person, but somebody with, who's doing well for themselves and, and considers themselves to be attractive is going to be completely repulsed mm. by that. Mm. So I see a lot of people going on Elance and they put an ad up there, a listing that says, we won't accept a cookie cutter, cookie cutter response, uh, none of this, none of that. You have to do this. You have to send us a picture of your office. And I'm telling them, you're filtering out the good vendors. The way to do it is to get on there and say, 
we here we are uh, a small WordPress company. We have a lot of uh, work coming in. We're looking for a vendor who can roll with it and hopefully do estimations and that we want to build a relationship so that we can grow with them. Right there, that opening, mm-hmm. you're getting the attention of the exact company that you want. And this example would be modified for any circumstance. Um, and then you sweeten the deal uh, and you tell them why you're great to work with. Say we're going to – or you just be honest. Say we're, you know, we're new at management. We're looking for some input from you. Uh, We're happy to use your tools. Uh, We do know how to write good specifications. We have some experience and just um, put it out there and make it like a dating profile. Try to attract the other businesses. Remember that a a good software company, not a bad one, but a good one is getting literally hundreds of RFPs Mm. all over the place. People broadcast them everywhere. On Elance, uh, people go through, click through 50, 60, 100 a day. So it's like click, 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 click. How do you stand out in that? You have to tell, you have to be attractive and you have to be sincere and you have to really want to find that that company and and build the business. So, yeah, yeah, it's easy to make good RFPs. Yeah, good advice. Great advice. Uh, Do you have a favorite tool or system for CRM? Uh, No, I'm kind of sort of struggling with that. Uh, I'm really liking Streak. Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah. It's. It's really good. That plugs uh, into your, used, it plugs into your Gmail inbox, doesn't it? Yeah, and yeah. that's the best and the worst thing. It's, yeah. uh, it only goes into your Gmail. Yeah. So I'm heavy on Gmail. It works for me. Um, it's got a lot of nice features, and it's free uh, at a certain level. Mm. So that's what I like so far. Uh, I've used Capsule CRM. That was uh-huh. pretty good. Yep. And that's about it. I, yeah. I don't really – you know, again, anything involving sales – I'm scared and, and nervous in there. So, you know, I let someone else handle the CRM. I've, I've used Streak, actually, and we used Capsule for quite a few years. We just left Capsule because we've migrated everything to Infusionsoft. But I I did try Streak at one point, and I kind of liked the idea of it. I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. Uh, this is a great question uh, for someone in your situation. What is the best way to keep a project and a client on track? Oh, boy. Um well, I think the best way is the hardest way, which is the, the what we call the open face project approach. Um, we have an infographic coming out about this. The open face project approach <clears throat> is simply to be incredibly honest with the client. Um, if a client comes and says, can you make this deadline? Uh, you have to look at it in the same way that a doctor does, where they're sort of obligated to be truthful. Mm. Doctor, will this surgery save my life? It's very rare that doctors are going to say, absolutely, I, I promise you it will. Mm. They're going to say, we, you know, we think there's a very high chance, uh, but there are some complications and risks and things like that. You can do the same thing in software. Uh, a client comes to me and they say, can we do this in six months? I'll say, well, it looks like we can. I think you can do it. Uh, my worry would be this piece over here. And if you're really nervous about that date, um, let's back off some scope and do an early 1-0 and things like that and try to uh, set the expectations of the client without uh, lying. Uh, mm. You know, there's a lot of inadvertent lying. People say, yeah, I can make the date. And they really mean it. They mean that they're going to try. Mm. But the more you go on in this business, the more you realize that it's very, very difficult. There's a lot of dependencies. What happens, uh, and this I, I, I've seen up close, um, when you're honest with the clients, but you also try to, instead of just saying, I don't know when it's going to be ready, give them all the information that you have in order to make the decision. So here's the things that can go wrong. Here's why I think we can probably do it. Here's what we can do if we're halfway there and we're starting to panic, uh, things like that. If you give them that information, it's very empowering to the client and it builds trust in a huge way. And then when you do make the, the deadline, which you usually do if you're conservative, then they love you. So client misclient expectations are about somebody getting the wrong information and somebody said it or wrote it. And if you're careful about what you say, um, but are also respectful of the client's need for information, you can do it. Yeah, awesome. I look forward to that infographic. Please keep us posted when you uh, produce that and we'll definitely the share open it face out. Project. Yeah. The open face project approach, I like it. Any ideas for getting referrals from existing clients? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I, marketing is, is certainly the weak spot. I have, I have done everything from asking them, saying, can you steer some business my way? to sending emails and nudging. Um, I have, the only way that it's worked for me is to um, make sure that the projects end well. You know, clients only remember the beginning 
at the yeah. honeymoon yeah. and the end. It doesn't matter yeah. what happens in the middle. Yeah, right. You know, it can be very difficult, but <clears throat> when that launch happens and you send that last invoice and you call up and say, hey, I'm glad you it worked out well or whatever it is, end it well. And everybody seems to get phone calls like, do you know a guy? Yeah. So beyond that, um, no, I've got nothing. That's so true, though. <laughs> like, that's really good advice. Make sure a project ends well. Because you're right. If a project ends well, it doesn't really matter what happened last week or the week before. If it ends well, then the client's left with a good taste in their mouth and everyone's happy. you got to really pour it on at yeah. the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Make it good. Final question in the elevation round. What's the number one thing you can do to differentiate yourself? Oh, well, for, for me, the lesson of doing um, not what you're passionate about and really not what you think you're good at, but what other people tell you you're, you're good at right. was an excellent lesson. Um, I got so many phone calls from people saying, you know, I, I, I have a, a, an idea and a plan and some time and some money. And I was looking for a roadmap. How do I get from where I am now to having my app built or my site built or my, you know, whatever it is? Mm. And your time really helped me. I kept hearing that from people, and I started to realize that it's not really my unbelievable passion, but I love satisfied clients, and I just started doing what people were, were telling me. I mm. specialized based on, on the market. Wow. So That's... it took me 15 years to get there. Yeah, uh, yeah. So the lesson learned was do it right away. Yeah, yeah. Um, but listen to, to others. I mean, there's no, no substitute for, for feedback. Yeah, that's so true. That's really good advice. Awesome. Thank you. Well, that concludes the uh, elevation round. Um, hey, what's the future for SourceSeek? Where do you where do you see this business being in twelve months' time? In twelve months' time, it's going to be exactly the same way it is now. It's a tiny boutique business. I've got a, just a, two partners and um, a couple of assistants, and uh, we uh, take phone calls and we help people. And I want to just keep doing it the way it's been going now. I, I've already grown the company. You know, my other company once, this is going to be, my partner calls it a lifestyle business. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. you know, I, I, I'm, I'm okay the way things are. I love when the phone rings and then I get a call a couple of weeks later, a client says, we've started working with this vendor and we're thrilled uh, and that's enough. So that's great. I that's want awesome. things to stay the way they are. Beautiful. Um, what, what's the, and finally, what's just before we wrap up, what's the number one piece of advice you would give any entrepreneur trying to build their own business? Wow. Um, the number one? I don't know about a number one. I could give you 10. Uh, I think that, you know, the, the focus factor, I can just speak for myself. What was hard for me mm. at the very beginning, I was doing uh, marketing and I was doing sales and I was flying around management, client service and all these things. Then I was multitasking like crazy to get it all done. If I were to do it again, um, and the way I'm doing SourceSeek now is, you know, you just bite off a few things and do them ex exceptionally well. You know, I have so many ideas about how to make this business work. I decided just to make videos um, and to do content marketing and to not do any services, no new products, nothing, and just do this and give it a year mm. and do those things very well and not get distracted. And that's really helped a lot. So focus was the biggest lesson that I would have given myself 10 15 years ago. Yeah. Other people, I don't know, but that's the hard lesson I learned. Yeah, yeah. It's it's definitely the lesson that I'm continuing to learn as well is uh, a mentor once said to me, if you if you try and, you know, there are many analogies for this, but the two I really like are if you're trying to bake too many pies at once, you just end up with a bunch of mess in the ovens. Why don't you just bake one really good pie? And when you've learned how to do that, then you can always do it again. Yes. But don't try and bake too many. And the other analogy I like, the visual, is trying to spin too many plates on a stick. Well, just yeah. let, all, let all the cheap ones fall to the floor and just spin the one really good Royal Dalton dinner plate. Just get that one spinning, you know? Yeah, and be, and be 100% <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and, and in that moment and, and, and concentrating and spinning it. And that's when you do your best work. Yeah, absolutely. Although, you know, it, honestly, I, I've usually got two or three pies in the oven. I mean, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm not Yoda over here, but I've gotten a lot better. I've learned to focus more than I did before. Yeah, yeah. Two or three pies instead of 12 or 13 pies. Yeah, maybe an eclair over there and a donut <laughs> or two. <laughs> hey, where can people reach out and say thanks for this interview, Dave? We're at, we're at sourceseek.com. Uh -huh. um, you can reach me on Twitter. We're sourceseek on Twitter. Um, it's very easy to find our sourceseek uh, YouTube channel. Uh, and anybody who wants to can just send me a note 
on the contact form on our website or any of those other sources and I'll answer personally. Beautiful. Um, I'm going to put all the links in the show notes, which will be at wpelevation.com slash Dave Hecker, all one word, and it's D-A-V-E-H-E-C-K-E-R. No spaces or hyphens or other weird hieroglyphics. And you can find everything related to this show uh, at that link. Hey, finally, thank you so much for spending, uh, you know, almost an hour with us here on the WP Elevation podcast. I really appreciate it. Finally, who would you like me to try and interview and why? Ooh, well, right now... I'm interested in content marketing. I want to become much better at it. Um, so, you know, the, the person I saw that I wanted to emulate was Dan Norris. Oh. Uh, and then I interview. I'm doing an interview series myself. We're starting to do that. And I interviewed him <clears throat> and picked his brain a lot. I would personally love to see people taking the content marketing to another level, um, you know, back to focus. There are now a hundred pieces of, of best practice for content mm-hmm. marketing, um, I'd love to learn some of the best practices about how to find what it is that you're really good at, how to really, really reach the audience and understand them, stuff like that. So if you can find somebody who can talk about that, I'll be tuning in. Well, I've, I've already interviewed um, Dan Norris, but I'll tell you who I am going to put on the list as a result of that is a man by the name of Joe Polizzi, who I believe is the founder of the Content Marketing Institute in uh, in the US, I believe he's based. So. And I've actually had Joe on my radar for a a while. So Joe Polizzi, courtesy of Dave Hecker, I'm going to come and get you for the WP Elevation podcast because I think he would be fascinating. So uh, Fantastic. I'll I'll be there. Thanks for the heads up there. Hey, awesome. Thanks again for spending some time with us on the podcast. I really appreciate it. I uh, hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have, and I look forward to keeping in touch and seeing how SourceSeek uh, rolls out over the next 12 months. Thank you very much. Cheers. Hey, 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 I hope you enjoyed that episode uh, of the WP Elevation podcast with Dave Hecker as much as I surely enjoyed making it. Of course, this episode is brought to you by Video User Manuals, the original, the best, the only way to teach your clients how to use WordPress. I've got that ingrained now in my brain. I'll I'll say it in the same order every time from now on. It'll become a consistent little sonic trigger for our brand. Hmm. It's nice, isn't it? The original, the best, the only way to teach your clients how to use WordPress. Uh, Check it out at videousermanuals.com. Of course, you know all about it by now if you've been listening to this episode. A dollar for your first month to put a whole suite of video tutorials in your client's WordPress dashboard to teach them how to use WordPress. Subscribe to the podcast at wpelevation.com slash subscribe and you'll get something for free. I don't know what it is. It's probably a webinar or a free guide or an ebook or something, but you'll get something for free to say thanks for subscribing. And visit the show notes for this episode at wpelevation.com slash Dave Hecker, D-A-V-E-H-E-C-K-E-R. No spaces, hyphens, underscores, or silly squiggly lines. Leave your comment underneath this video and tell Dave the number one frustration you've got or the number one challenge you've got with outsourcing and you could win a complimentary Skype consulting session with Dave to help you overcome your outsourcing challenges. And next week on the WP Elevation podcast, if all goes to plan, I'll be interviewing Justin Ferryman from LearnDash. This is about the 800th time I've tried to interview Justin and it's totally my fault that I've had to blow him out so many times. So I'm really hoping that next week we have Justin Ferryman from LearnDash. LearnDash is a fantastic learning management system for WordPress. We actually use it on some of our WP Elevation subdomains to teach our courses. And I'm really looking forward to uh, speaking with Justin. I met him at WordCamp Chicago in June 2013, so I'm uh, 2014. So I'm looking forward to having him on the podcast. But for now, please get on over to iTunes and give us a review if you like what we're doing. It helps us come up in the search results and uh, helps us share the love. And you can also check us out at Stitcher Radio, stitcher.com, and give us a review there. I hope you're enjoying the podcast as much as I am. I hope you're having success in your WordPress business. I hope you are elevating your business. Until next week, go elevate.